lead. Mick Dittman is squeezing through on naturalism's emanations there with heroicity. And here comes Viander Cross. Viander Cross down the outside is motoring home. Naturalism the leader. Viander Cross inch by inch is wearing him down. Naturalism still in front. He ran out near the line, but Naturalism wins at a half length to Viander Cross in a bumping finish. This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and the High Gang Group. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder, time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website mitovite.com or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world. Where the heck is Chad Lever? Has been a frequently asked question in Sydney racing circles these past few months. The former South Australian jockey has been riding a few horses at the barrier trials for his wife Claire but hasn't had a race ride since September of last year at Newcastle. His last winner came a week before that when he scored on Jarbath for Michael Mulholland at Dubbo. Chad Lever has never been a natural lightweight. He's pretty tall at 171 centimetres and has been on a rigid diet since the commencement of his career in the mid-1990s. Since arriving in New South Wales in 2014, he's been trying to maintain a riding weight of 55 kilos, which has been tough going. Not to mention the massive mileage he's been doing to carve a niche for himself on the provincial and country circuit. As far north as Coffs Harbour, as far south as Maruya, as far west as Narromine and all points in between, Chad has worked tirelessly to honour commitments to a wide range of stables. Last season, he won 47 races in New South Wales. The season before, 80.5. And in the season before that, a whopping 106, which put him in fifth spot on the New South Wales jockey's ladder. That kind of workload took its toll last spring when he knew he'd have to take a break from the sweat box the diet and the never-ending travel. We're talking about a jockey who has four Adelaide premierships under his belt, two as an apprentice, two as a senior jockey. His career win tally is well over 1,400. Let's see if we can get an insight into Chad Lever's plans for the immediate future. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Thanks for having me, John. Well, Chad, I suppose the fact that you've been riding regular work and getting to the trials has kept your weight at a sane level. Yeah, it hasn't been too bad. Um, probably the first two months um, I got up to about 64 or 64 and a half, but since then uh, it's balanced out and mm. I'm probably walking around about 62, Yeah. Uh, enjoying, enjoying dinner and um, a few drinks here and there, so it's, it's been pretty good just to have a, have a break and give the body a rest. 
Take me back seven or eight months. You were everywhere at the time. You were writing at four or five meetings a week, some of them four and five hours away. Was your sanity under threat? Um, yeah, it, it's good when you're writing winners and, and things like that. But like you said, um, I normally try and uh, get a few weeks through the year um, Claire and I like to go away and, and refresh and recharge the batteries, but through COVID, um, obviously we weren't allowed to do anything or travel anywhere. And, um, the only thing we really had was work and mm. I just kept, kept, kept on working and it just eventually took its toll. And, yeah. um, yeah, I decided that, um, I should take a bit of a break. I got to the stage where I didn't want to go to the races and Claire said, well, just don't go, just have a break. And, yeah. um, I was just going to be a, a three months sort of thing and it's just progressed a bit longer than that but um mm. like i said i'm enjoying enjoying doing what we're doing you've virtually been claire's training partner haven't you i i know you've enjoyed it and it gives you something to look forward to later when you finally quit race riding yeah it does I, like i said i enjoy it um it's probably not something that i thought that i would would want to do i always thought um once I finish race riding, that'd be it of getting up early in the morning and um, going to the track. But Claire's gone down that path, and I'm 100% behind behind doing behind mm. her doing that yeah. um, and trying to trying to back her into it. So, um, like I said, we we work pretty well together and good combination. Um, the team's been going pretty good since she first started, or when she, since she first took her license out and. Mm. Um, she's had some success, which is good. Yeah. Now, you're riding gallops together, aren't you, having little mini races? Yeah, we do. We, we Claire rides work as well, so we um, normally everything goes out in pairs and um, we do the gallops and things like that together. So um, we pretty much know how exact, exactly how they're going, which yeah. which is a good thing to be able to do. Um, there's a lot of trainers out there that, that don't get the opportunity or not able to ride their own work and they just got to rely on, rely on the track riders to and their judgment to see how the horses are going but um mm. we're luckily enough we're in that situation that we can ride them ourselves and um know what they're doing and how they're working claire rode successfully under her maiden name of claire nutman she'd rode about 120 winners but training was always on the radar wasn't it her dad richard is a long-time trainer at hawkesbury so it's in the genes yeah, it's in the genes. I think it's like, like everything with horses. Once they're in the, in the, it's in the blood. It's pretty hard to get get away from. Um, but yeah, she's went down that path, and um, she wasn't sure what she wanted to do when she did. Did give up riding, mm. um, but I think she just got swayed towards towards the training um, after working for Chris Waller, and um, yeah, she decided to take her license out and um, been doing and going well ever since. Yeah, and her judgment uh, is obviously spot on, Chad. How would you describe her as a trainer? Is she observant? Uh, does she work on gut feel? Because riding and work would be a massive help to her. Yeah, it is. Um, I feel she's very good at if something's not quite right, she, she picks up on it pretty quickly. Um, I think it does help working with them every day and Mm. Um, like I said, we haven't got a big team, so we're pretty much able to keep on top of everything. Um, but yeah, no, she's she's a pretty good judge. If she's got one and she rides one and thinks it's going well, yeah, um, it's not very often that they don't come out and perform on the track.
Mm. Well, you and Claire took yourselves off to the United States in 2018 where you tied the knot. Were you married in New York? Yeah, we got married in New York. Uh, we didn't really want to have a big wedding and uh, we always sort of tied it into our our um, yearly trip and it was a good way to get our parents over over there as well. They'd never been before and mm. uh, they probably wouldn't have ever gone if if we didn't sort of organise to have it have it overseas. So um, mm. we're glad we did do that over there and um, our parents, they thoroughly enjoyed getting out and having a look at New York. Mm. And you honeymooned in New York. Did you get to Niagara Falls during the honeymoon? No, we didn't. Um, we didn't really actually have – we haven't actually had a honeymoon yet. <laughs> um, we sort of spent, I think it was another nearly a week over in America after we got married and that was um, it. straight back yeah. to work. Yeah, well, wait till you win a group one. You can go and have that honeymoon. Yeah, we definitely will be doing that. Hopefully it's not too far around the corner. Well, Claire's been training in her own right for only a short time, but I notice she's already posted about 20 winners. It's a pretty good strike rate, really. Yeah, she has. Um, we started out, we didn't have, I think we, they're probably on the cheaper side, you would say, the horses that we, we sort of purchased mm. um, just to try to get some clients in and um, just some people that Richard already had were able to take a couple of shares just to just to get us started. Mm. Um and she won races with all of the ones, I think, pretty much, uh, except for maybe one that she she went amiss. So mm. um, for the first couple of yearlings that she did purchase, they, they won races. Um, but since then, we've been able to build up um, and spend a little bit more money, not over the top, but a little bit more money, and mm. um, we got some really nice horses at the minute. As a former jockey, of course, she understands the pitfalls of race riding, but have you ever been on the receiving end of any criticism? Uh, no, I haven't. Luckily enough, not from her anyway. Um, <laughs> she's she's been pretty good. I like I said, I've ridden I've ridden a few winners and had a lot of rides rides for the stable. And um, luckily, I've had pretty good runs on most horses, and they've had their chances. But yeah. um, I'm sure down the track somewhere she'll she'll <laughs> have a few words words to me about something along the lines. You've obviously been following instructions to the letter. Always try to, John. Yeah. Make things a hell of a lot easier. (laughs) Sure does. Your life story is a very interesting one. You're a native of the great racing town of Port Augusta on the Spencer Gulf, about 320 kilometres from Adelaide. And your late grandfather, Fred Brodie, had been a jockey and a trainer. So like Claire, the genetic forces were strong for you. Yeah, that's right. Um... I when I, I learned to ride when I was about 10 um, and I sort of started doing a little bit of track work when I was about 12, I think it was. Mm. Um, and my grandfather used to put me on one horse and every day at the track he'd take off on me at the half mile and <laughs> um, I ended up learning a fair bit from, from him. So um, I just wish that he had been around a bit longer. He passed away before I started yeah. race riding um, and it would have been good to learn learn more of the training caper from him because he's a very good trainer in his own right. Was he? Yeah. He must have been a character, your late grandfather. You tell me he loved to reminisce about the old days and you heard the same stories over and over again. Yeah, it was good. Um, 
I can't really recall them at the minute, but um, yeah, he was always knowledgeable and um, and helpful in any sort of thing that I that you had to ask or, or whatever. But he always had an answer, and mm. nine times out of ten, um, it was pretty true and correct. Yes, it was your grandmother who thought you had enough natural talent to at least consider becoming an apprentice jockey, and I think it was Grandma who rang Leon McDonald who had a glut of apprentices at the time. You didn't give yourself much hope of, of getting a spot. Yeah, well, that's right. I, I started I started my identity with my uncle mm-hmm. um, and I just was a bit tired and – well, not tired, but I just missed home a bit and mm-hmm. I ended up going back back to Port Augusta um, and what I, I think I finished first term in year 11 or something and then mm-hmm. um, Nana was – Wanted me to to pursue riding again, and uh, she knew knew Leon. Mm. She rang him and asked him if he'd take me. And uh, like I think he had f- three or four apprentices at the time, and he wasn't able to. And then yeah. she kept harping harping on him, and um, he did he did end up taking me in, which was which was good. And I think my first morning at the track with Leon, I think I did ten trials the first morning. So yeah, uh, he was a very good boss. Um, but it was hard to get started with with all the apprentices that he did have. Yeah. Um, but I think I was built up enough courage to ask him to go on loan after I'd ridden a few winners, and mm. um, he granted me that wish. And mm. I think within the next month, um, all the other the apprentices that were there, Jason Holder fell in the Oaks, I think, and he broke an arm, and mm. Matthew Paget done his knee, and Kathy Brown and a pelvis or something, all in, within the space of a month. And, oh, that was freakish. Uh, yeah. 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 So I, I didn't end up going anywhere, and I started getting the bulk of the rides to the stable, and um, things took off after that. Mm. Yeah, you went from number four to number one <laughs> overnight. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, yeah. And like I said, I started riding plenty of winners for for the boss then, and then it obviously snowballed out out to other trainers started to use me a bit more too as I was yeah. getting a a bit of a run-along, so it was great. Mm. Jason Holder, of course, affectionately known as Stubby for obvious reasons, uh, has gone on to great things uh, as a professional jockey. Uh, He's still riding at the top of his game in Adelaide and he's won Group 1s, he's won Premierships, he's been an outstanding rider, hasn't he? Yeah, he sure has. Um, Ever since since I first started there, he's always someone that you could look up to because he was always riding winners, um, and uh, we've always sort of been good mates since, so um, it's good to see that he, he's still riding as, as good as ever. Mm. Matthew Paget, you mentioned earlier, I think he found his way to New South Wales eventually. He was riding up around the Northern Rivers for quite a while. Yeah, he was. I think Matty, I think he retired just last year. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it was good to catch up with him. I hadn't seen him for a while as, as he moved moved up this way, um, mm. but it was good to catch up and ride against him again. Your very first winner was actually trained by Dean Saxon, who prepared his team at a little place called Millicent, a long way from Adelaide. He put you on a mare called Make a Movie in a 1,400-metre race at Mount Gambia. You must have been about 16. Yeah, I was, was only – I hadn't had a – had many rides that I'd only had a handful of rides and um, I think Dean actually rang up looking for Matt or Kathy to go down and ride um, and they, they weren't going or something and Leon Leon asked if I could ride them 
um, take take the rides for them and um, he didn't know much about me and he, he said, yeah, no worries, I can come down and ride them and mm. as fate would have it, I think we jumped straight to the front, 1,400 metre first up and um, she kept rolling around and she got the money. So it was, it was yeah. a great way to, to bring up my first winner. Well, you had a hell of a run early in your career. I think you outrode city, provincial and country claims in no time. Was it 18 months, two years maybe? Yeah, it was it was pretty quick. I think I still had like 20 months left in my dentures when I'd outridden my claims. So um, I did have a good run for the first first early years once I got up and got going. Um, like I said, I had a lot of support from some good trainers and um, I was very grateful for that. Mm. Well, the fruits of your brilliant early years came in the shape of two apprentices' premierships. That's something to be proud of. Yeah, it was. It's always something that you strive for. Um, when you're an apprentice, uh, and to do it twice, like I was over the moon, mm. um, had some good riders, riding at some good riders at the time. So, um, there wasn't much between us in wind wise in, in all seasons. So, mm. um, it's good to get my nose out in front twice. At that early stage of your career, you've already mentioned Stubby Holder. What other Adelaide jockeys were inspirations for you? Uh, I always sort of looked up to Stephen Arnold. He was always a tall boy as well. Mm. Um, had great hands and obviously he was a very great, good rider. Um, and Dwayne Dunn, uh, always always thought highly of Dwayne and yeah. he was always willing to help and um, give you a hand if you ever needed anything. Mm. Richard Jolly was one of your greatest fans. He put a lot of rides your way early days. Yeah, he did. Um, I think it was after I commanded my time, um, I'd started to go and do a little bit of work for Richard and we had a bit of bit of luck early on uh, and then I pretty much was riding work every day for him and riding the majority of, of the team and we had a really couple of really good seasons there. I think both times I won the premiership and might have been mm. um, riding for Richard and um, we had some nice horses go through through in that time and um, yeah, we had we had a lot of success together. It was it was good, and we still like to catch up every time I see him. So, mm. um, yeah, no, it was great. He's now training in partnership, isn't he, with his daughter Chantelle, and uh, they have a lot of success. He usually has a good horse in the stable, Chad, and every now and again he'll sneak one to Melbourne. I've noticed Kemmel Passer has made a few trips from Adelaide to Melbourne in the last twelve months. Yeah, he, he does. He's a very good trainer and um, he's, I think he still jumps on a couple every now and then, but um, when I first started, he was he was still riding work and mm. um, like a very good judge. He's, he's got a good eye for a horse, as you can see with, with the yearlings and that that he's purchased and they've gone on now. I think he's got a couple of really mm. handy two-year-olds mm. at present. Um, but, yeah, no, he's doing a fantastic job and Chantel's obviously, obviously been a, a good addition to the team. Richard was a pretty good jockey too, as you said, before weight caught up with him. And he tells one story that wasn't funny at the time, but it is in hindsight, Chad, and I'm sure you've heard it. He had one ride in the Melbourne Cup, old Richard, and it fell going down the back straight. And he brought another one down. Another one went over the top of him. Fortunately, the young rider was unhurt. And uh, do you know the story? Who was the other jockey? Um, oh, I probably have heard it, but you forgot. Yeah, it was D. Oliver. 
Damien oh, Oliver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I do remember it. Yeah. Yeah, crashed over the top. Both were okay and walked away. But uh, Richard's one and only brush with fame in the Melbourne Cup turned sour when his mouth hit the deck <laughs> down the back straight. Well, those two junior premierships of yours were later complemented by two jockeys premierships. The second was in 2009-2010 when Simon Price gave you a real run for your money. He was snapping at your heels in the closing weeks. Yeah, he was. He's actually um, on the final day. I was a half a win behind, I think. Mm. Um, and in my last ride of the day, I won the listed a listed race on a gust of proud, I think it was. Mm. Um, got there right on the line, so that that got the premiership. I think I had to wait one or two more races and to see if Simon could ride a winner to to beat me. Mm. Um, but he wasn't able to, and I was able to take the take the title that year. So it was great. Mm. Two famous Adelaide racetracks are now defunct, sadly, Victoria Park and Cheltenham. Did you get to ride on both tracks? I imagine you would have. Yeah, I did, yeah. Um, it was a shame Cheltenham, Cheltenham went. It was probably, at the time, it was the best wet weather track, the wet weather surface that we had mm. um, in Adelaide. And I thoroughly enjoyed riding at Vic Park, um, straight five and... Um, the inner track and the outer track. It was it was a good tr- place to ride, ride in the city. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, we don't get to get to go around there anymore. No, I I went to Victoria Park on a non-race day once, Chad, just to have a look at the place, and I remember thinking it was like turning back the clock a century or more with those beautiful old world grandstands. Yeah, it was um, probably in much need of, of being updated, but um, I think it was, um, what do you call it, heritage listed or something. Yes, I think it was, um, yeah. Yeah, so, um, but, yeah, no, it was it was a good venue, especially when they had the twilight meetings there. It was good. People just come in from, mm. from the city after work and um, there's always a good atmosphere there, but, um, yeah, unfortunately that's no longer. How far was it from the CBD? It was only a stone's throw, wasn't it? Yeah, it was pretty much right there. Mm. It was would have been five minutes max. Yeah, unique. Yeah, definitely. You were tickled pink to win two city races on a mare called Moment in Time in Adelaide. Now, she was trained by Mick Huxtable. Was he your uncle? Yeah, he's my uncle. Um, he's a, he trained, still training at the moment. Uh, he's a very good trainer in his own right as well. Um it's good because if I need anything or need Claire needs to find anything or whatever, um, we can always ring and ask him, and he's more than happy to to help us with any any issue that we have. But good. Um, he always finds a nice horse too. He's a good has a good eye for a horse at the sales. He's bought bought plenty in his time, and um, he always always finds a good horse that's very competitive, and he often gets one that he can take to Melbourne for the spring. Mm. Just get you to stand by for a moment, Chad, while we clear a commitment on the podcast. We'll come back with you in just a moment. Ticket sales got underway on Friday the 1st of July in the 2022 Cosiosco Sweepstakes. 
your opportunity to share in the $1.3 million prize money on offer for the world's richest race for country train gallopers. New South Wales residents can purchase $5 sweepstakes tickets via the TAB app, local pubs and clubs, TAB agencies and at New South Wales race meetings. 14 winning tickets will be drawn on the 8th of September with each winner then selecting a New South Wales country or ACT trained horse to race in their slot once they've agreed with the horse's owner group as to how they will share prize money for the race. Ticket sales will close at 11.59pm on Wednesday the 7th of September 2022. The much-anticipated The Kosciuszko Sweepstakes Draw will take place on Thursday the 8th of September and will be broadcast live on Sky Thoroughbred Central and RacingNewSouthWales.com.au. The best horse you rode from the Leon McDonald stable was the dual Group 1 winner, Umrum, winner of $1.6 million all up. You didn't run a place on him, but it must have been a thrill to have a couple of race rides on him. I think you rode him at his very last race start. Yeah, I did. Um, I rode him um, probably majority of his work um, early, early days. Uh, he, he was a little bit of a handful as a young one, but um, he was big and strong and he was a really nice horse. I, I wish I had have been able to have a sit on him in his prime, but... Um, I sort of only was able to sit on him at the end of his time. And um, like you said, I rode him in his final start. Um, I think we went around, might have been Vic Park, and um, we didn't do didn't do too well. But um, yeah. glad he, hap- he happily retired as a as a sound sound horse. Mm. Leon had another outstanding horse around that same time in the shape of Gold Guru. Don't think you rode him in a race, but you rode him some work. Yeah, I used to ride him a little bit as well. Um, he was a bit cheeky than Umrum, but mm. um, he obviously was a very good horse in his own right. Um, AJC Derby, I think. Yes, he, he did. Winning. Yes, he did. Um, so yeah, no, he he was a good horse. They were they both actually came into into the stable at the same time, and mm. um, it's quite unbelievable they could both go on and, and do what they did. Mm. He beat two outstanding horses in Sydney. He beat Tie the Knot in the Derby and he beat Might and Power in a wait-for-age race at Rose Hill. Might have been the Ranvet. A couple of prize scalps. Yeah, absolutely. They they went on and done done plenty themselves. So, um, yeah, he's pretty happy to have that. You see the other. There have been many successful jockeys who've won premierships who don't place a great deal of credence in them. But to others, Chad, it means a lot. I'll tell you, Tommy Berry would give anything to win a Sydney Jockeys Premiership. You've got four under your belt. Two as a kid, two as a fully-fledged jockey. It's pretty special. Yeah, it is when you when you look back and see um, what you're able to accomplish and, and things like that. Um, unfortunately, I haven't ridden a, a Group 1 winner. Uh, I've been running a number of seconds and thirds and stuff like that, but Mm. Um, time's probably passed for that now unless, unless Claire can find one and I can stick on it. Yeah, you're what, Chad, early 40s, aren't you? Yeah, 42, yeah. Yeah, well, mate, look, this is the age of the veteran jockeys. I was talking to Larry Cassidy uh, last week. Larry will be 52 next month, 
and uh, he's ridden 2,804 winners and he's desperately trying to reach 3,000. He knows he's up against it, obviously, but uh, he's as keen as ever. Jeff Lloyd, of course, rewrote the record books. He was winning Brisbane premierships at 57. And what about Robbie Frad? Nobody knows how old Robbie Frad is. He still, <laughs> and he won't admit it either. Yeah, he's still still punching him around, Robbie, and um, still still going well. So, um, I think the time's gone when everyone used to to sort of retire at forty as a jockey or whatever it is. Um, yeah, plenty of people are pushing on past that and and not getting any slower anyway. They're still riding plenty of winners. Yeah, Jimmy Burns around the fifty mark. There's another one. Yeah, and he's obviously still riding as good as ever and. Mm. Um, I think whilst whilst you're still happy to, to do it and you're still getting results, there's no reason why why yeah. you should give that up. Yeah, Chad. As long as you're basically healthy, as long as your nerve is intact, uh, there's there's no reason why you can't go on. The experience factor is enormous. Yeah, well, I'll probably I'll probably be happy to try and do um, another couple of years, and and I'll probably be happy to see it out then. It's just gonna whether the body. Mm. The body wants to hold up to it, and mm. um, like I say, uh, obviously I'm not one of those ones that are that are blessed in in being lighter or no. whatever. I really have to work at it. Um, it just catches up with you, but um, yeah, we'll keep pushing on and and yeah. see see what to see what we get to. See, you're one of the chosen few, though. When you finish riding, you'll walk straight into a foreman's job. Yeah, I'll be right there. I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> In case you get someone else in between and I'll get relegated to <laughs> doing boxes or something, I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't think that'll happen. Do you still take a, a keen interest in South Australian racing? I've got visions of you in the jockey's room at Kembla or Newcastle or wherever you might be, uh, juggling uh, your time slots so you can watch a race in Adelaide for some reason or another. Yeah, I always try to look up and um, and look at the races back home. Um, most of the time I have to get them to change the channel, but mm. um, most of the time they got Sky Central or something on, so I'll have to get them to flick it back to Sky 1 so we can watch <laughs> watch Adelaide. But, um, yeah, most of the time I try and watch it and, and see what's happening over there. You'd been riding for a young trainer called Sam Kavanagh in Adelaide who suddenly made the announcement that he intended to open stables in Sydney. I think you were just over a knee reconstruction at the time and things had been a little slow on getting back into the saddle. So you jumped at the chance to come to Sydney with Sam. He kicked you off here. Yeah, he did. Um, we've been great mates for a long time. And um, like I said, uh, I did have a knee reconstruction and probably the first 12 months or so back, it just took a while to get going again. Um, a few other riders had come in and um, it was tough to get get the rides back that, that I was having before I had the injury and mm. had the five months I think I was off for it. So uh, it's just probably a little bit stale too. And Sam Sam was coming up and said, oh, I'll just want to come up and you ride the horses in the country and um, see if you like it or not. And came up and I sort of enjoyed it a bit, got a little bit of a run along and then I ended up going home for a, for a month or two and then um, I returned and mm. um, things took off after that. It was good. Bjorn Baker has almost as good an eye for a jockey as he has for a horse. And he started to throw rides your way pretty quickly. And I remember one mare 
you were riding for Bjorn by the name of Miss Tenpins. I think you won about four straight on her at one stage. Yeah, she was a good good little horse to me. Um, yeah, Bjorn, Bjorn started putting me on and we had a lot of luck. Uh, I think and even up to this day, our strike rate's pretty good together. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I won, a, won a heap of races on her and all started from the country and um, then I think fourth or fifth race that we won on her was um night meeting at canterbury is my first city winner up here so mm. um yeah she she was a good little horse to me what was your arrangement with chris waller i know you rode work for him for quite a long time and he was putting regular race rides your way wasn't he yeah he was um I ended up getting a job for chris i, I was just riding work in the mornings um when things were a little bit slow and he was going to give me the provincial rides on a Saturday and um, wherever he could else, mm. uh, and it worked out pretty good. I think I was there for five years or so. Mm. Um, we had a lot of – I rode a lot of winners for Chris through the time, and um, he was always very good. He was always – even if I had to leave early, I was able to go, and um, it was good to be able to get to ride some, some of the really nice horses he had coming through mm. the stable, even track work. What, were, um, what but, were the pick uh, of those, Chad, at the time? Um, uh, I did ride Winks there a, a few times, um, just only slow work, but I did get to sit Winx, on her. So did that's, you? Whoa, that, that's yeah. dinner party material. Yeah, exactly. So I was able uh, to say that I have actually ridden Winks, and mm. um, obviously there's a few others, but she's a she's a main one that springs to mind. And yeah, uh, rode, well, I rode a couple of the horses that are now uh, one on Dargento. The two-year-old, mm. um, he's obviously went on to win Group One races and things now a stallion. And um, but yeah, I remember my time fondly working, working there, riding work for Chris and, and mm. the team. Um, they were always very, very helpful. And and um, like I said, I had a lot of rides for him, and, and it was was a really good experience. Was there time to jump on an odd one for other Rose Hill trainers at that time? Probably not. Uh, not really. Um, sometimes after we'd finish, I, I could go and do do a couple. Uh, I used to ride. Sometimes I'd do something for David Payne or mm. or Gerald Ryan or Lee Curtis. Yeah. Um, but I wasn't so much time left after after we finished riding at, at Chris's. I sort of always always do about seven in the morning there, and yeah, um, yeah. So I was pretty busy. You could see there was a definite opportunity on the provincial and near country tracks for a jockey who was prepared to work and to travel as Jeff Penzer and Grant Buckley had for so many years. And it didn't take you long to build up a clientele, Chad. The same stables were looking for you all the time at Newcastle, Kembla, some of the nearer country meetings such as Bathurst or Scone, Musselbrook. Yeah, it was good. Um, once I sort of got a little bit of a run along um, and started to, to get these outside rides for, for different people and you have a little bit of luck and success and um, you always try to give give uh, the honest feedback and um, I think they really appreciate that and then just sort of most of the time or a lot of the time you're the first one back to call if the horse goes around again and stuff like that. So, mm. um, But, yeah, I've, I've, I'd like to think that I've built up an, enough clientele um, to be able to, when I come back, to be able to go back to the races and, and get regular rides again. So yeah. hopefully that'll be the case. 
just as an illustration of the run you were having at that time, I can remember one week in which you rode 10 winners in eight days. Kembla, Newcastle, Sapphire Coast and Taree with a few high-profile trainers thrown in. You were absolutely flying at that time. That's about three years ago. Yeah, I think that's, that might have been when I rode the 100, 100 for the season or whatever. Yeah. I, I had a couple of really good runs. Um, and like it's like everything. If you you got a bit of confidence up and you're riding winner as well, mm. things start to happen for you. Um, gaps or whatever that wouldn't normally appear appear and, and things like that. So mm. um, once you confidence, once you're full of confidence, um, sort of nothing's really impossible. No, it was around this time your relationship with a young jockey called Claire Nutman blossomed into romance. Claire had actually retired from race riding; she hadn't yet started to train, so she had a bit of time on her hands and she became your chauffeur for a while. She was driving you to all of these meetings. Yeah, she was. That was a big help too, um, especially when you get up and do a little bit of track work and then go home and got to sweat and then drive four hours. Um, I've got to drive two hours up the road and I get a bit tired, so um, especially wasting and stuff like that, I was able to have a, have a bit of a nap on the way up and um, keep me nice and refreshed for the race day. Mm. You rode in races together, you and Claire, and I shouldn't bring this one up. There was one significant occasion at Kembla in 2016 when you and Claire went to the line absolutely locked together. She rode a horse called C-Sharp. You rode a horse called Too Quick. Up went the number and Claire got the judges pat. I bet you trotted back in stony silence. No, I was first to say congratulations. Um, <laughs> but that photo actually is still in the fridge at home. I can't get it off. <laughs> Claire was with you at Scone one day, Chad, in 2017, and I'm sorry to bring it up, when you sustained multiple injuries in a nasty fall. You had concussion, you had some facial fractures, you had a hand fracture and a nasty gash above one eye. I think they helicoptered you down to John Hunter at Newcastle and you spent several days there. Couldn't have come at a worse time, not that there's any good time, but this was right at the time when you were riding winners all over the place. Yeah, that's right. It didn't come at a good time at all. Um, I had a really good season the year before and uh, what was it? I think it was the 8th, of, the 8th of August or something and... Mm. Started off the season with a few winners straight up, and things looked like they were gonna. It was gonna be a good season, and um, yeah, I had the fall at Scone, and um, yeah, they put set me back a set mm. me back a fair bit, and probably took me a fair while to get back back into rhythm, and um, with the head injury, it just took me that little bit longer to get back into rhythm and and things mm. to start rolling, and it wasn't until the the probably a year later um, that I started riding riding well again. Yeah, you were out five months all up. It's a long time. Yeah, it was. Um, and obviously with the head injury and I've, I felt that I was fine and and that I could get back earlier and um, I'm glad that they, they sort of dragged it out and, and didn't want me to come back any sooner than what I did because um, you think back now and even with little things, um, my dad 
came to the house mm. um, when I come. No, I think he came, come to the hospital, yeah. flew up from home and went up to the hospital and come back in the car with, with Claire and myself yeah. um, after I'd been in there for a few days and mm. um, come home and set up the bed at home for me and this and that. And then it was like a month or so later and I said something and Claire goes, no, your dad was here. And I was like, no, he wasn't. Like oh. I didn't have no memory of him being there at all. Oh, dear. Um, for the week after after it, it all happened. So it's mm. funny how um, your mind – and brain can can play play little tricks on you like that when when it has a trauma. Mm. And what's Dad's background in racing? Uh, well, Dad doesn't really have a background in racing. He he married my mum, um, and my mum's um, father was my grandfather who who trained. Yeah. Um, and mum's sister is married to Mick, who trained. So like, it's all. Yeah. All, Mick, all Mick in the Huxtable. racing sort yeah. of thing. But yeah. Dad himself, uh, no connection? No, he, he used to swim the horses in um, behind the boat in the ocean at home um, and obviously took me around to the with my pony and that everywhere and stuff like that. So yeah. um, I don't think he really had a – until he probably met Mum, he never really was into the, to the racing sort of side of things. But mm. – um, in saying that, he's always been been there and supported me in whatever I wanted to do. So yeah, great. Um, it's been good. Hey, Chad, it was very fitting that you should ride Claire's first winner as a trainer. It was at Gundagai as recently as November of last year, with a mare called Grace Bay, who'd won a maiden at Narromine when trained by Richard Nutman. Uh, mare went for a spell. And on returning, there was a new trainer, and it was Claire Lever. Claire set her for a Class 1 at Gundagai. I think it was on Snake Gully Cup Day, and perfect ride. And, and I believe you were weighed down with instructions. She told you to be handy. Yeah, she um, she's, a, she's, a, she's a really nice mare, um, mm-hmm. and she'd always worked worked well and she just took a fair bit of time to mature and um like I say she won a we won her first race at Narramond I think it was and then set her for Gundagai first up um showcase prize money and owned by by uh Bernadette and Claire and mm. um it was good that that it paid off. Um we ended up being box seated and mm. and it opened up at the right time and she burst away. So mm. um it was a good way for her to get her first winner. And she's kept on winning. She's now won a total of five races. Where is she, Chad? Um, she's back in work now. Mm. Um, she's probably oh, she's probably three or three weeks away, three or four weeks away from having to run. So um, she's come back. She's bigger and stronger again. Mm. Um, I think she won a first. She won a provincial race last prep. First up, yeah. and Jason um, from Perfect Ride again, and. Mm. Um, yeah, so looking forward to hopefully we can win a win a Metropolitan race with her this time around. Good, I hope you do. Now, I've got to ask you this for punters who are listening in. You've got a couple of rising three-year-old fillies in the place of whom you have a pretty healthy opinion. One of them's called Jukebox Flyer, who's had one start for one win at Newcastle. I think Alicia Collett rode her that day. You like her, don't you? Yeah, she's a nice little filly. Um, she's fast, um, strong, sassy. 
Mm. Um, but yeah, she she's come back well from her break, and um, we're hoping that she can she can go on and, and win better races than um, than a two year old at Newcastle. So, mm. um, looking forward to to getting her back on track. Now the other one's called Seaside Sandy, who's won one at Bathurst with Winona Coston in the saddle. Where is she at as we speak? Uh, she's currently spelling. Mm. Um, she's going to be a nice three-year-old, um, probably seven furlongs, I think. Um, but yeah, she's she's a lovely attitude, lovely, lovely, strong filly. Um, so yeah, she's having a nice she's having a nice spell now, and looking forward to getting her back and um, seeing what she can show us. Mm. And the final question uh, presents itself: When are we likely to see Chad Lever back race riding? Well, I think I'm going to have to wait till after winter now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just going to be too hard to budge budge weight through winter, especially here in in the Hawkesbury. Um, we get some pretty cool mornings, and it's just too too tough to budge. So I'll just keep working, doing what we're doing, and um, get a program in order and and start back, hopefully in the spring. You know, about three years ago, Chad, I rang Leon McDonald. I was writing a story about you at the time, and. Uh, I just rang Leon to get a quote uh, about his memories of young Chad Lever. And he said to me very simply, and I don't want to embarrass you, he said, Chad Lever, a very good jockey. And on that note, I think we conclude our podcast. And uh, I don't expect you to answer if you don't want to, but he was very sincere. Yeah, no, it was very nice to hear. Um, He was a very good boss to me and... um, I love to catch up every time Every time I'm over there or every time he has a runner up in Sydney, I sort of try and catch up with him. So, um, yeah, like I say, he's a very good boss to me. Um, when I first started, everyone said he was a hard task master and this and that, but yeah. um, whether he liked me or he mellowed out, I'm not sure, but he was he was very good and we didn't hardly, hardly have a disagreement at all. Chad, it's been a delight uh, catching up on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Thanks for your time. Great to chat. Thanks, John. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30ml of Recuperate drawn from the 500ml bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase.